Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, this is John. And this is Sunita. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to Tennis Podcast Towers at the end of day four of Roland Garros 2023. And thank you to Jonathan Peace and his friend Sunita there for brilliantly introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Jonathan, you will remember David hosted, along with his then employers, Cafe Rouge, our very first live show. Yes, we... We we were rather green then, weren't we? We didn't really know what we were doing, and Jonathan helped us through it. <laughs> and Matt was there in a sort of Richard Osman role at mm. the time. Working the presentation. <laughs> Pushing buttons on a computer. But he still had a mic, didn't he, Catherine? He still he had did, a mic. Yeah, the seeds had been sown. So <laughs> so thank you, Jonathan, for, for providing a place for those those seedlings to, to incubate and grow into the beautiful metaphor that I don't know how to finish that, you, that, that I see before me right now. At 13 minutes past midnight in Paris, the day has finally drawn to a close. David has just got back from the night session where he was commentating for BBC Radio 5 Live on Novak Djokovic, beating Martin Fucevic in Three sets, but three extremely different sets. But never has there been, David, a greater contrast between set one and set two in a tennis match. Oh, I think that must be true. That must. It'd be quite an interesting stat that I'm sure we would never find a way to pull, but the longest first set followed by the shortest second set because the first set of this one was won by Djokovic on a tie break. I think it was an hour and 27 minutes long and the second set was three love in 12 minutes and, and it lasted half an hour um and and honestly you could see the the air just deflating out of poor old martin fuchovic after losing this first set and I, it's something i often think about and i had the pleasure of sitting next to kim Kleisters and laura robson in the bbc radio commentary box whilst that was going on and and it was something I wanted to know from them is how do you recover from losing a set like that I mean it is just horrific he'd been 5-3 down he got back to 5-all he's playing lights out tennis I think Martin Fucevic is playing as well as he possibly can in that first set Djokovic is stressed tense ratty with his support team everything that could possibly be in place for him to lose that set was there potentially but he didn't lose it. He won it. And then Fucevic just basically disappeared. And Djokovic became loose and played brilliantly. And, and Kim and Laura were saying, well, the truth is, we don't really know how you recover from it either. It's just, and they said in a, in a best of five set match, they said it's even harder because you've still got to win three sets, even though you've put an hour and a half in. Um, but yeah, it was, um, in the end, it was, it was a brilliant performance from Djokovic for two sets. But, you know, he's going to get more edgy sets in this tournament. And it is something I think I find a real fascination with him is his quest for history and whether that is going to catch up with him at all. 
Yeah, and of course, just hearing you say that, my mind instantly goes to US Open 2021. Mm. That's when he lost to Medvedev. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, look, he's shown so many occasions where he can handle adversity or stress and all those sort of things and still find a way to manage these situations. But I don't know. I mean, everything's in his favor at the moment. He's come in injury-free by the looks of things, and yet there's still a few moments of real tension. I, I thought that first I know we've seen it so many times with Novak Djokovic there was never a moment when I didn't think he would win that first set or the match as soon as it went into a tie break you know the crowd are into it they're like yeah Martin Futcherwich you're making a match of this and you know us long in the tooth people are thinking (laughs) we know what Djokovic does in tie breaks and Djokovic did what he does in tie breaks and just didn't make any mistakes, went into lockdown, just rolled through the gears because he has those gears, whereas Fuchovic was maxed out. So, yeah, we'd we'd seen what we saw in that first set from Djokovic before in terms of the stress, but it was extreme. He was extremely tense and there was there was a new guy in his box tonight the yes. one sat to Goran Ivanovic is right I don't know who that is I don't recognize him maybe he's been hired just to bear the brunt a sort of human shield for everyone else human in the box stress ball he he was getting a lot <laughs> he was giving quite a lot back oh good but he was I love it when they give bearing, it back. W- wearing a lot on his shoulders mm. tonight. Yeah, it's it's always fascinating with Djokovic. You do know exactly how he's feeling. And that that's an interesting point you make about the US Open. And of course, that was, it, it took until the final then for, for that to really come out. And he, he played a bad match in that, in that final. And that, that makes me wonder whether it's a good thing for him to be on the same half of the draw as Alcaraz. You know, I know we're I'm jumping ahead there. I'm, there's a lot of tennis to be played before Alcaraz and Djokovic meet. But if we expect Alcaraz to be his toughest match at the French Open, maybe it would be useful that it wouldn't come in the final where he'd also have the pressure of trying to get 23. You know, he can just focus on trying to play Carlos Alcaraz and deal with 23 in the next match. I don't know, that's a It's a bit like the last time he theory. won it, isn't it? When he faced Nadal in the semis in that mm. incredible four-set match. Yes. And then faced Tsitsipas in the final. And actually, he was quite flat, wasn't he, for a couple of sets. And Tsitsipas was brilliant and worthy of those two set, that two-set lead. But it kind of felt, when he'd won that match against Nadal, it felt like mm. job done, didn't it? Mm. Because... Yeah. Who beats Nadal at Roland Garros? Well, this guy did. Mm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. There was, speaking of sort of classic Djokovic things, there was one in that first set tiebreak where Fuchovic won, I think it was a 33-shot rally to reduce the gap from 4-1 to 4-2. It was an amazing rally. He, he did brilliantly to win it. As you said, the crowd was up. And I'm I'm convinced that there's that that is a genre of point that has happened in tennis repeatedly over the last 15 years where you think, wow, opponents won an amazing point. That's going to be a, that's going to be a little turning point there. <laughs> and then they don't win another point in the rest of the tie break because Djokovic has an ability to just say, okay, well, do it again then. Do it again. <laughs> do it again. And they can't invariably. And he, he would do that even against, you know, Federer, for example, great players and he just has an ability to put something behind him instantly and force an opponent to come up with the goods again and he, he did that in that tie break it's something I always notice I always think oh that that could be a turning point and it almost never is that deep down pit of the stomach knowledge that he's I'm at a seven out of ten you're at an 11 out of ten <laughs> I can keep this up and do more you you can't yeah it's it's going to take somebody with more gears than Martin Fuchovic mm. and because he played really well mm. and you know what we saw yesterday yesterday from um Zybuc, uh, Vuch against um Medvedev it's th- it's that sort of performance that that is required somebody who is just going to hit through him 
and and I think Runa can do it in his own way. He does it in more of a lockdown way, I felt. He almost forces Djokovic to come out of that zone or it's going to take a, uh, an Alcaraz who can literally knock him off the court. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting that, about that matchup, isn't it? That Runa kind of plays him at his own game. Yes. And you're thinking, wow, the, mm. the chutzpah to do this. <laughs> and for it to work, yeah. blimey. Um, as you have alluded to, we are now... Countdown time. Three rounds away from Alcaraz Djokovic. We'll talk it's not about that many, is it? It's not that many. Thank you, David. <laughs> I mean, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. Thank you. That is how tennis rounds work. Uh, we'll talk about Alcaraz in just a moment. But first, uh, we interrupt the Alcaraz Djokovic hype train uh, to bring you news that the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in association with On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location is the official tour operator for the BMP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March. And we can tell you that their packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours for 2024 are now on sale. Um, look... It's not a it's not a hard sell for us, is it, to tell people that if you have the means and opportunity, you should get yourself to Indian Wells. Oh. And you know, I know we have to say this, but we also really, really mean it. That's it's why a special it's, place. It is a great sponsorship for us because we don't have to make it up. <laughs> it was amazing. We got to go in March and see those incredible views the the horizon of mountains the blue sky the it's a just a beautiful place to be at and watch tennis and and they also it's just such a happy place to be at isn't it what a what a fantastic trip that was for us back in march yeah i came back and i was like i want to take up golf (laughs) (laughs) Mm. yeah i was like happened yet but i was like i don't want to play golf anywhere except indian wells yeah (laughs) I remember saying to a few people, guys, have you ever have you ever played golf? Like, golf is great. I'm going to take up golf. And they were like, you know, other golf courses don't look like that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, they don't. <laughs> yeah, and then I went walking on Wimbledon Common, which is also a golf course. and saw Bit squelchy. Very miserable men in the rain. <laughs> and thought, hmm, you yeah. don't get, You didn't get a buggy? N- no one there has buggies. You had no, a buggy in India Wales, didn't you? I've been given a an unrepresentative experience of of golf i fear if you would like to go to indian wells in style it's really the only way to do it and experience one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis staying in a four or five star accommodation great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches we've been to that hospitality suite and it had shuffleboard in it it did didn't Mm. it And, and snacks and snacks just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section what a section <laughs> I mean, i'd say that that's a selling point isn't it I mean, <laughs> yeah okay then <laughs> yeah yeah get yourself to paradise folks we highly recommend it uh now on to carlos alcaraz he dropped a set to taro daniel today why did that happen well in his words it was because of the windy. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm, he said, I, I tried my best to play with the windy. It was difficult to play with the windy. Bless him. <laughs> I love that so mm. much. It is really difficult to play with the windy. So difficult. That's, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? That I wouldn't have thought that he was going to be a player necessarily that struggled with that i mean i suppose when you're hitting the ball as violently as he is any gust of wind that takes it out of your hitting zone makes you vulnerable and also the trajectory of the ball and that sort of thing but he just seems such a good adjuster when he's moving around a ball that i kind of feel like he could handle any of it um in the match today i mean i i, I commentated on some of it and he was awesome for a set absolutely stunning tennis um, and Tara Daniel hung with him. That was the thing. He took him on and uh, and really, really caused him some trouble. And, and it did remind me a little bit of the match he lost against Marishan at, 
than Rome. I mean, I don't think Terry Daniel played as as well as that. He was hitting quite a lot of drop shots, though, wasn't yeah, he, Daniel? he was. And, and that was something the two of them had in common. But it, it was it was him not being afraid to just play his game and not be stopped from doing it by the velocity and the ferocity of the shots and the drop shots coming down. The other, he started to read Alcraz's drop shots. That was the other thing that really came across. Um, but even so, I, I do think that Alcraz looks... Looks just where he needs to be overall. I'm not. I wouldn't be concerned for him that he lost the set. Yeah, I know some people are sort of saying, "Oh, he's having these lapses in in concentration. You just can't afford to do that against the top players." But I might be proven wrong on this. I don't think he would against Djokovic. I mean, this that's kind of a marker of the top players, isn't it? That they they have these gears. They instinctively know when they can afford to have a bit of a lapse and when they can't. And I think his detectors for that are pretty pretty finely tuned. I'd be surprised if, you know, if there was any kind of a, a lapse if the Alcaraz Djokovic semi-final. Can you imagine if that doesn't happen? I mean, there's still... You know, it's going to be carnage. He in particular has some players to get through, doesn't he? Most likely. Well, he's got Denis Shapovalov next, which... I think will be fun in moments. I think it'll have its fun bits. Shapovalov has nothing to lose there, does he? He can go and have a good time and, yeah, and show He will have a good time for a bit and lose. <laughs> Tell me different. I just think he, he, you might see the best of him mm. in that match. And the best of him is bloody good. I mean, I don't think he'll win. I don't think he'll win. But I think he'll push... Alcaraz, maybe maybe only within sets, but I think he will because he, he's capable of going toe to toe in a way that very few are. That's what that's what I mean. He'll make it fun. He'll you know be like a, a run chase in cricket. There'll be moments when you think, oh my goodness, wow, he can match him here. This could be a match, and then that's quite the, good. the inevitable will will happen. I, I, I think I agree with you. Um, but it will be a fun time. But like, I think, you know, there have been times this last six months where Denis Shapovalov has not felt like a serious tennis player. He hasn't felt like somebody who would bring his best and show you what he's got. I, he, he's starting to edge towards where he needs to be maybe a bit now. Yeah, H- Hannah of running our Twitter during Grand Slam's fame gave me an opportunity to quote Logan Roy earlier on today when she was, which, you know, I'm looking for opportunities left, right and centre. Doesn't take much. But she said, she said, how pumped are you for that match? How much are you going to hype it? And I thought, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it as a spectacle, but I'm not sort of hyped for it like I would have been a few years ago about Shapovalov facing anybody and I said, Dennis, I love you, but you're not a serious player. I've said it twice today now. It's brutal, <laughs> it's similar it? reaction both so times. Scathing. Tumbleweed. But, I mean, it's a great line. And, and I'm afraid to say, overall, it's accurate. Um, he, I'd, I'd love it to be different. I'd love that it, to change. He can prove that wrong. He has it within him to learn, improve and prove that wrong because he's good enough. I don't have faith that he will. In terms of the rest of Alcaraz's projected draw standing in the way of, of Alcaraz Djokovic, we've got a potential Musetti Cameron Norrie. I mean, these are fourth good round. Like On paper, I like these. I mean, Musetti and Cameron Norrie play next, and then the winner of that would play the winner of Alcaraz. Shapovalov. Nori absolutely dismissed the ghost of Luca Puy today, didn't yeah. he? Well, and, and it was on both sides of the net that because Puy was so fatigued. He, he clearly, he just hasn't been doing this for very much recently. And he, he wasn't, he hadn't got much energy. But also, Nori was blooming good. Really good. From, from ball one, he was on it in a way that he wasn't against Benoit Paire. There was a double bounce in this match. Did you see that by any chance in the third set of that match? Mm. I actually haven't seen it. Matt has, so he's better placed to answer this. But I have heard your interview with Cam Norrie mm. about it because we were listening to your commentary earlier, David, mm. on oh, BBC Radio and loving it. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those where... 
I think the answer to that question, do you know whether it's a double bounce, seems to vary. Like I think some players think, yes, you do know. Sometimes it depends a bit on the situation. This seemed pretty obvious to me. And someone who definitely knew was Luca Pui. He was absolutely adamant, absolutely kind of incensed by it. I, I was surprised the umpire didn't didn't see it. I guess maybe not as surprised that Cameron Norrie wasn't sure. You know, running up, he was running at full pace, trying to reach it, and sort of slashing across right. the ball to try and get under it. Yeah, and he, he said maybe he felt like he'd got under it, and therefore that it spun sort of with with backspin. He thought he'd, he'd got under it, but. As you said to Cameron Norrie, that is just a, a classic instance where it makes sense to bring in the technology, I think. I, I saw I, in my commentary box, I saw that it was definitely a double bounce in slow motion about 20 seconds mm. after it had happened. And, 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 they, and they can't. And we've trialed what's, this. What, what's that all about? This is the thing. That's we what I don't really it, it understand. Worked, it was great. It's not particularly sophisticated technology. It's not complicated technology. It's not anything that would hold up play any Just more than... Just press rewind the, and it, press play, for God's sake, and then everybody sees it's it. It's not like tennis is averse to things that hold up play. I mean, it's mm. faff central out there. Tennis is looking for ways to hold up yeah. blooming play. I'm going to write to the authorities tomorrow and ask why it doesn't happen. All right? Yeah. Love it. Because I, Will yeah, it's, co-sign. It's all well and good talking about why it... I want to know why it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, gen, I genuinely cannot, even for the sake of playing devil's advocate, think of a, a counterpoint, think of an argument as to, to defend why it, it's not happening. Honestly can't. So do it, David. We're all with you. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to confidently speak for the listeners as well there because I just can't believe there's any sensible person mm. uh, listening that wouldn't agree. And as we know, all tennis podcast listeners are sensible. Hey. Before we move on to talk about the uh, women's matches today, I just want to have a word for Sam Varinka and Thanasi Kokinakis, uh, which is my highlight of the day today. They played for four hours and 38 minutes. I didn't know it was that long. On Simone Mathieu. And I only watched the fifth set. I mean, I watched a lot of it on the on the screen that we have at our desks in the media centre. But I got out onto court to watch the fifth set and it was raucous out there. It was a really, really good time. I got there just as Stan Varinka was putting his finger to his head and I thought, this is going to be good. <laughs> um, but... Kokinakis looked like he was a broken man, quite frankly. I am so impressed with the fact that he won that set and that match because he looked like he was haunted by the ghost of Andy Murray in that fifth set. He looked like he was thinking this again this but <laughs> this but without the Aussies in the, in the crowd. Um, how is this happening? Um, and I mean, he looked pretty physically broken as well. It was an outrageous physical effort from him to to drag himself to the finish line in that and withstand the surges of Stan Varinka. You know, he was four love down, I think, in that deciding set. He retrieved one of the breaks. He had points to get another one of the breaks. Even though on paper it, it looks, I think it was a 6-3 uh, fifth set it looks like it wasn't that close it it was it was right in the balance and I don't really know who Kokinakis is as a tennis player for so long he was defined by being the talented guy that was crushed by injuries and actually he gave a great interview on court that touched on that mm. the way the way he just sort of said you know I was a really promising lad coming up and you know I haven't done this since all back then. You know, I haven't got this far. Ha- hasn't and hasn't won a five-set match, I don't think, since... 2015? 2015. Yeah, he's got into a few fifth sets and not won one. So this, you know, I don't think he's going to go on and win the French Open. But Positive signs. In terms of turning him into something more than the guy who wins Adelaide or th- reaches the final in Adelaide, you know, whatever it might be, it, it this could be the start of something because... 
God, his tennis is really good. His and the, and the forehand match too. is a serious weapon. Well, There's I something think that's positive science. Something about the flight of the ball on the forehand is is a bit special. And mm. he showed he showed some steel out there today. Um, and there was a really lovely embrace between the two of them after the match. Stan Varinka came um, around the net post to Kokonakis' side of the net and they embraced for, for quite a few seconds and that kind of told you everything you needed to know about the nature of that match. It was it was pretty special and it'll stay with me for a long time. But Kokonakis threw to the third round of the French Open. Who's he got now? Do we know? He has, <laughs> he's got Karen Hachinov. Oh, my I word. I did know that. Well, that. That is another agricultural mm. face-off. That is Kokonakis like I don't think he's, he's agricultural. A I mean, he's a pretty boy agricultural. He's a pretty <laughs> farmer. <laughs> but it, the, the face isn't anything to do with the, the agriculture. <laughs> no, but, you know, he likes the whole... Hair wax and the earring. I don't think his physique is agricultural. His game is, though. It's big forehand and belt it. Yeah, okay. That feels like a tough draw after going almost five hours with Wuthering. They're just going to be heaving forehands at each other. Yeah. I'm backing... No, I'm not. Why am I saying that out loud? Okay, moving on to the women's draw today. Caroline Garcia, the fifth seed. The great French hope is out to Anna Blinkova, who won it on her ninth match point. This was an ordeal, watching Anna Blinkova repeatedly trying to get across the line. Served double faults on two of the match points she she was broken when trying to serve out the match and you thought okay Garcia's got this now she's wrestled back control of the match Garcia got immediately rebroken by Blinkova who did then eventually serve it out biggest win of her career by ranking but it's not the first time that she's beaten Caroline Garcia because she did that here at Roland Garros also in the second round back in 2019 and I have to say I didn't see that stat, that fact until after the match today. It, it, that had completely escaped my memory. Um, I think because Caroline Garcia was far less talked about in, in 2019. She was in rather more of a dip of her career, wasn't she? I thought Blinkova was incredible today, barring the... What did she do well? Everything apart from serve for the match Close it out. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely did tighten it i mean honestly i didn't know much about about anna blinkova but it was hard to find holes in her game today and she was helped by caroline garcia but just to stay on blinkova for one more moment i was so in, in contrast to Kokonakis, who we were talking about a moment ago, he withstood the atmosphere today, and that was a feat. Blinkova thrived in the atmosphere. She she thrived in the hostility of it all, and it was, you know, quite friendly hostility from the French crowd, but it certainly was hostility, and she just... It was fuel to her, wasn't it? Mm. it it's quite something to beat Caroline Garcia, the top French player in a match like that, and then immediately say, I love the public, I love the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like, like a troll. I was like, good for you, Rana. Yeah, that's how you do it, Coco. <laughs> um, yeah, she now plays Alina Svitolina, who uh, won today in uh, three sets. She had to come back from a set down to beat Storm Hunter, and that will be a replay of the Strasbourg final from Sunday. So that will be two matches in a week for those two, which is crazy stuff. On Garcia, she led by a set and a break in this match and then completely tightened up by her own admission, just out of nowhere, no control over what her body's doing, completely tightened up. In her own words from her press conference, she said, from that point on, I just felt much more tense After the first set, I was actually very good with my game choices. My ball was going faster. I was hitting it harder. Then 
I was passive. I let her take the upper hand. I had a wait and see approach. I couldn't read the court anymore. I couldn't walk around the court anymore. And I couldn't get out of the bad momentum. I didn't manage to have the upper hand through and through. I can't explain it right now, just as I couldn't explain it when it was happening on the court. These things have happened before. I know what I have to do on court, but then I get afraid that I won't make it, that I will fail in unrolling my game plan, and I start to make mistakes. Then my balls are too short on my opponent. It's tough to lose after playing like this. And then she was asked about whether it's the Roland Garros effect, the whole French player playing in France, and she she said, but it doesn't only happen here. And it was a tremendous self-dissection yeah. from Caroline Garcia as people that are constantly trying to understand her as a tennis player. It was, you know, an insight into how she's at a loss to try and understand herself sometimes as she, well. She is one of the great enigmas, isn't she? Mm. Because she's had these spells of total, well, apparently clarity and then everything clicking and then she just goes and wins back-to-back Masters 1000 events like she did in Shanghai and, or, or Beijing and Wuhan, wasn't it, back in uh, 2017, I think. And then um, she went and won the WTA Finals last year. And you don't really know what it is about those events that has clicked that isn't clicking elsewhere. But, I mean, obviously Grand Slams are the biggest, so maybe that's what it is. Um, we have seen French players struggle here. Amelie Marismo being the most obvious one, of course. Sam Stoser in Australia. Although Yannick Noah was pains to tell us a year ago in our Amelie Marismo show that it wasn't about nerves with Marismo. It was actually that her game wasn't suited to, to, to the clay in quite the way maybe we thought it was. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he's right. But I, I don't think Garcia's game is perfect for this surface, um, but I find it absolutely fascinating hear her, hearing her talk like that. And um, she always makes me feel for her. I, I wish good things for Caroline Garcia because she does seem a little tortured. Yeah, tortured is the perfect word for her. Moving on to Arena Sablenka, she was a winner today. Two straight sets, 7-5, 6-2 over Arena Shymanovic. Ranked outside the world's top 200, Shymanovic. So you'd expect Sabalenka to have come through this one. And once again here, the dramatic events for her were in the press conference room. Now I'm going to read you the the transcript of the exchange here, but also tell you that I don't think the transcript fully conveys what was going on. I've heard that none of us were in the room. We heard about it immediately afterwards. This was something that sort of sent ructions around the, the press room, the fact that there'd been this incredibly tense exchange. I heard the audio on your BBC radio coverage, David, and I've spoken to a journalist who was in the room to get their impressions. It was a... Ukrainian journalist who um, has been here covering the whole tournament. It was her who asked this question. She said, um, I want to ask you two questions, she said. First, it's about Belarus. In 2020, you signed a letter to support Lukashenko, who is the, the president of Belarus in times when he was torturing and beating up protesters in the street. And then you eventually showed up celebrating the new year with him. How is it possible that the potential world number one supports a dictator? And, and at this point she's interrupted by Irina Sabalenka who says, I have no comments to you. So thank you for your question. She continues. The second question is you keep saying that nobody supports war. Nobody but can you speak for yourself and say, I, Irina Sabalenka, flatly condemn the fact that Belarus is attacking Ukraine with missiles and I want it to stop? I've got no comments, comments to you, says Sabalenka. So you basically support everything because you cannot speak up, said the journalist. You're not a small person, Irina. You can. And then at this point, 
the the moderator steps in and says she's made it clear that she's not going to answer and Sabalenka says yes and the journalist says now we know everything it's all clear to which Sabalenka says you've got enough answers from me and I've got no comments to you an incredibly difficult and tense exchange um I mean, as you can hear, as written down, I the fact that these questions are coming from a Ukrainian journalist makes this all the more layered and complicated, I think, because my first reaction when seeing that line of questioning written down is, that's gone a bit far, that's crossed a line there. Um, I think it's a legitimate line of questioning in principle, absolutely. But it's quite clear that Sabalenka has no comment in this situation and to sort of to keep pushing to get a reaction doesn't quite feel appropriate. And it, it sounded like it got personal and emotional, which isn't ideal. But it's a Ukrainian journalist and how can it not be personal and emotional. I'm very glad there's a Ukrainian journalist here covering this tournament and asking the important questions. And of course, it's absolutely understandable that that it should get personal and emotional. How can it not? So it's so complicated, I think, isn't it? And I don't know. What was your reaction, David, when you when you heard the clip the same Catherine. i i don't feel qualified to say what who's right who's wrong i don't think there is a right and wrong other than i understand why the ukrainian journalist has done what she's done and to some degree i understand what sabalenka's done and um it's a horrible feeling to to hear the conversation, to know what the background is, the backdrop to this, and the reason it's all happening. And yeah, maybe maybe Sabalenka is wrong to have if if she has signed that 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 uh, that letter and and supported um, the Belarusian leader as as described there. But it's just such a lot for for the environment of tennis to handle. And and I'm not and that's not for me to say that it shouldn't be happening. I'm not saying that that Ukrainian journalist shouldn't have been able to ask those questions. I think she should, but it's just so difficult for for both of them, and and I just feel for them, and I, I don't know what the answers are. There was an interesting point made by Kim Kleisters alongside you in commentary this evening, which was, I think we all are understanding and sympathetic to the situation of Russian and Belarusian players having family in Russia and Belarus whose safety they would be potentially putting in jeopardy by saying anything overtly anti-war or anti-Putin or anti-Lukashenko. I'm not sure any of us, in all honesty, could say that we would do, we would speak up publicly if it meant putting our families in direct danger but some Ukrainian players have pointed to the fact that they haven't been approached privately by the Russians and Belarusians and I don't know if that is a universal thing I don't want to tar everybody with the same brush and those were quotes from a little while ago maybe those approaches have been made but from the way that somebody like Marta Kostyuk is still talking about the presence of Russians and Belarusians on tour, it doesn't sound like they're all coming up to her and reassuring her that they don't support the war and they're doing everything they they can behind the scenes within their power to, to be anti-war. And it doesn't sound to me like they're all going to Elena Svitolina and saying, we can't make proclamations publicly, but we can donate prize money. We can support ukrainians financially with our energy it maybe they are maybe they are because the whole point i'm making here is they're not necessarily able to say it publicly it i the sense i get is that that isn't happening though and and that was a, a very important point i think kleister's kleister's made yeah 
I, I think it was too. And, and throughout all of this, uh, I suppose I feel most comfortable with what Alina Svetolina said a couple of days ago about let's concentrate at this point on helping Ukrainians. And that feels like the most positive thing that anybody in tennis can really do at the moment. So let's do that. Moving on to lighter topics, David, Matt, you started your day on Suzanne Longland. That's a bit of a ritual for, for David at the French Open, watching Marketa von Drosheva against Daria Kazakina. Let's call it a connoisseur's match. Did it live up to your expectations? They both left the flat this morning just with a, a spring in their step on the way to von Drosheva Kazakina. I had a lovely time. It was <laughs> it was just a lovely tennis match. You know, the sport has become so physical and so powerful and so dynamic and athletic, and it and it's all the better for it. I think generally, and that's not to say that Kasakina and Vondrosheva aren't great athletes, but that side of their game is not at the forefront of what they do on the court. They're all about the lovely strokes and the angles and it kind of being a craft, I suppose. And to see those sorts of rallies between them was just, was just a pleasure. It was a, it was a terrible match to be watching if you happen to pop out for a change, you know, for two games, because you know, tennis being tennis, you're not allowed back in and you were likely waiting in the gangway for 15 or 20 minutes. These were these were lengthy games that they were having because, you know, there was quite little to choose between them, really. I thought, I mean, Kasakina ended up winning the match in, in straight sets and David can probably comment more on how he feels about Marketa Vondrosheva. But from a Kasakina perspective, I thought she was brilliant today she was the more proactive of the two she was the more purposeful she was she was trying to finish the rallies whereas <laughs> von Drosheva, i'm afraid she was sort of just moping around the court quite a lot her, her attitude was quite bad her shoulders were slumped uh, and it looked like she was just playing the ball rather than rather than thinking ahead which i think is when she's when she's at her best um but i i greatly enjoyed the rallies and the sort of look of them all and the feel of them and there was an incredible tweener from from Kasakina which which happened just about two minutes after David had had to leave to go to commentary I was I was gutted I felt I I needed someone to high five after it I was just suddenly on my own and leapt up in the press box it was absolutely incredible and um yeah is that when you dropped your baguette I'd already done that that was before David arrived. It spent and, quite some time on the floor, didn't it? Well, because the media seats are so good on Court Suzanne Long, then I felt that if I had to go down to reach my baguette, which, is, which had fallen a whole row in front of me, I would have been interrupting the players, potentially. So it just just sort of sat there for about five minutes. Watching what happened after had. five minutes? You then The ate, game ate, ended. And then and you they ate sat the down. baguette oh, no, on I didn't the floor, eat it. from the floor. Right, no, no, I picked it up and oh, okay. put it in my, uh, in my bag, hmm. in its wrapper. I'd have eaten it. And then disposed of it later. And then put it in the bin. Right. R.I.P. that baguette. Did I do a weird thing there? Should I no, behave no, no, differently I, with the I baguette? I was concerned that after those five oh. minutes, you then retrieved it and ate the baguette. No. 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 Great. David, <laughs> let down by Marketa Vondrosheva. We've all been there. I'd have eaten it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, I said that Vondrosheva would reach the final of the French Open. And she's out in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> well, same, but substitute for Yelena Ostapenko. Who I initially said I would pick to reach the final, and then I substituted her with Vondrosheva. <laughs> so that's two I've got that, have, that I've put the curse on. I mean, look, yes, there was an element of me having a vested interest in this, because it is fun to watch the player you've picked. Um, but I just love watching these two players. And... and I always go back in my mind to the match I saw them play on the Pietrangeli course at the Rome tournament about four years ago. 
and it was one of my great favorite memories um just an incredible atmosphere the angles and the way they play the sport i mean matt's described it to you doesn't need me to add much but i will add that i i found watching vondrosheva close up like that is an example of why we come to these tournaments why are we on site here why are we spending money for this apartments for the flights for all the time here that we spend it's it's so that you can get close up and see what a player is really like, so that you can get in these press conferences and hear what people are saying and hear and see the facial expressions and all the things that we pick up. In this match, I discovered Marketa Vondrosheva has an attitude problem, really, on the court that is, I would say, holding her back. And I think she has tools and talent that should put her in the top 10. And she was to use Matt's word moping around and complaining and and it just wasn't the best circumstances for her to get the best out of herself and she's prodigious talent wise and uh Kasakina was what she should have been Kasakina was the better player no question her her confidence was there from ball one she knew what she wanted to do with the ball whereas Vondrosheva in the wind you could tell was thinking how do I keep the ball in okay, I'll just rally. And then, well, you can't do that against somebody playing well. She's good enough to, to, to win the match, but her attitude was restrictive. So, friends of the Tennis Podcast, you've paid for us to come to Paris to discover that Marquette von Drojeva has an attitude problem. <laughs> <laughs> Mopes <Yes>. around. <laughs> Unofficial. Money well spent, I think we can all that's agree. That's my view. Uh, just last, let me down. Just lastly, Matt, before we talk about tomorrow's order of play, uh, after your trip to Longland, on the way back, you diverted to Court Thirteen to watch what you thought might be tennis history. Mm. That's right, because that's where Nadia Podoroska was playing Karolina Mukova, and if you're wondering. What tennis history was at stake in that match? <laughs> Which is probably a fair question. That, of course, was Reggie's prediction for the day. Reggie, who we love and had got 17 predictions wrong in a row. Is that right? In the news, Maybe only 16 at the time. No, I think 17. This 17. is dating back to, if you're a recent adopter, this is dating back to the Australian Open. Yeah, that's right. 17 wrong prior to today. He picked Nadia Podoroska to beat Karolina Mukova. Podoroska won the second set, six love, after losing the first set. So suddenly Reggie, bless him, was getting very excited. So I went over to court 13 and, well, I should have known what was going to happen because Reggie had cursed it. And I did think if... If Mukova ends up being the player who breaks the Reggie curse, that would be proof once and for all that Mukova herself is cursed. But <laughs> she didn't break the Reggie curse. Mukova won. Reggie has now got 18 wrong in a row. Um, and yeah, Mukova, I think, is in a very good section of the draw. That would have been, I think that would have been a massive upset if Mukova had lost today. I think I think she's favoured to go quite far here if she can stay fit. I need my predictions need that to happen. Mm. They are in ruins. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a sorry and, state of affairs. Mm. Just while we're on checks, probably the big yeah big upset of the day, the big result of the day was Barbora Krejcikova and we've been talking Katarina to your again. going out. No, I'm afraid I haven't been working the sources today. But I think this one this one spoke for itself. I mean they were going for a they were going for a non calendar slam, Krejcikova and Siniakova. They'd they'd won the last the last three slams. Of course it was the French Open last year that, that they didn't win because Krejcikova had to pull out because she, she got COVID. Um and they lost to Ikeri and Hazumi. In, in three sets and I didn't see much of this I caught the closing stages Siniakova has, has just come back from a bad wrist injury and I don't think don't think she'd played since Miami and it, it did sound like that was a big factor in, in their loss you know they, they maybe weren't quite ready to go all the way here and yeah so so they're out which is yeah just a 
big upset. Yeah. Potentially big deal cry. Big deal comma cry. Yeah. Mm. Although we don't know. Matt Matt has led us down, failed to work the sources. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know if there was cry. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Right then, tomorrow's order of play, version two. Hmm. We'll come to that in a moment. We start on Philippe Chatrier with Giulio Zeppieri. Can you, can you tell I'm saying that name for the first time? Yes, old name. <laughs> he faces fourth seed Casper Ruud uh, in the first match of the day. Then it is Iga Fionte against the American Claire Liu. Uh, and finally in the day session, Ocean Dodin against Anz Jabeur. I once commentated on a match of Dodin's where she hit about 400 double folds. She hits a similar number of unforced errors in one of them as well. And a lot of winners too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Does she have a very high ball toss? Incredibly high ball toss. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But she, I mean, she she can belt the ball. Um, but yeah, I found Jibber very convincing in the previous round. So we'll see. Now, the night session on Chatteret tomorrow was going to be Holger Rune against Gail Fees, But unfortunately... Very shortly before we started recording this podcast, an impromptu press conference was called by Gail Fees, and he announced that he would be withdrawing from the tournament ahead of that match, following on from his exploits last night. And we pretty much assumed this would be the news as soon as the press conference was called. We thought he was going to give the reason... Well, you know, look at l- me. L- look, l- you, you saw all me. saw the match. You all saw the match. You saw the state I was in. Obviously, I'm not going to be doing any physical activity for the next two weeks. Uh, but actually, <laughs> he cited a, a wrist injury that he said he's been carrying for for weeks and that was aggravated last night and not sort of just generalized full body cramps. Um, so we wish you well, Game Office. He was talking about hoping to come back next year, though. So. Mm. And and that, I should just quickly say, topped off a terrible day for the French. Mm. I mean, they lost all six singles matches. Garcia, Humbert, Jean-Jean, Moutet, Puy and Van Asch all lost. And then losing Ouch. a seventh without without even playing. I mean, that's that's yeah. a bad day. They've got all, all, they've got, got Rindeknesh in the men's. In the men's. He's the only men's player left standing. And he hasn't been put on centre. No. Well, so who is going to fill the night session match of the day gap left by Gelman Fies and Holger Rune, I hear you ask. Is it a woman's match? It is not a women's match, David. Oh. It is, in fact, Alexander Zverev against Alexander Molchan. Oh, great. Roll up, roll up. On court, Suzanne Longlen, we start with Elena Rabatkina against Linda Noskova. She gives the ball a good old belt, does Noskova. First saw her play here last year, actually, against Emma Raducanu. Uh, Yannick Sinner against Daniel Altmaier is second up. And then Coco Goff facing Yulia Grabha. Last up on Simon no, on Suzanne Longland tomorrow is Taylor Fritz against last Frenchman standing Arthur Rinderknech. Simon Mathieu is Madison Keys first up. Then Diane Parry against Mira Andreva. 
uh, which we think could be fun. We mm. think that could be your your Vondrosheva Kazakina of tomorrow, the sort of connoisseurs matchup. Then Karatsev against Tiafo and Sarundalo Hanfman. Oh, Karatsev Tiafo. It is court fourteen tomorrow, where you will find Bianca Andrescu against Emma Navarro and Donna Vekic. There we go. Three. So that is tomorrow. Uh, we wait for a women's match to be scheduled on Philippe Chetri. I wonder how many men would have to withdraw from the tournament before they put a women's match on there. Literally all of them. <laughs> I mean, we, we are now at, uh, what is it, 13 men's matches have been scheduled as match of the day in the night session to one women's match. That I mean, 14 is... if you count Runa Monfils. Yeah. I mean, that is a disgrace. Indeed. Right then, happier things. Phoebe, lovely Phoebe, our Roland Garros mascot, our mascot. David has Maisie. Oh, Maisie. I've got Xenia and Matt has Darwin. Mm. It was a it was a worrying moment for, for myself and Xenia today when Taro Daniel started doing things. <laughs> Today was our ship steadying day. You nearly didn't, didn't get your 10 points. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout outs. We have Bob Hoffman in Puerto Rico. Right, Bob. Hello. Bob says, I listened to the podcast while playing with my dog Mia in the park. What kind of dog? Is Qu- there a photo? Question for Bob. And a request for Bob. Can I oh, have- by the way, our shout-out chap from the other day, whose name I can't quite recall, but who played in a symphony orchestra, and we were speculating what Garth. instrument... Garth. What instrument he played. Update on that. Yes, David was was one seat out, apparently, because he plays the... Trombone. Trombone. I said tuba. Mm. Oh. Right, Garth. Heck of a guess, that second, is. Second shout-out for Garth. <laughs> um, but can I, can I have a Robert for Bob? Am I allowed to do that? I mean, I think a Bob would be better, but Bob sure. Bob Brian. I mean, he might... Oh, that's a good one. Bob Brian, you've got me out of jail. Bob Brett. But I, Bob Brett, yeah. Who's, who's your Robert? It was going to be Robert Seguso, who of was course. a doubles player that I remember from the 80s, and very fondly so, playing against McEnroe and Fleming all those years ago. Um, so, But Bob Bryan was a good shout, <laughs> Matt. I wish I'd thought of that. I don't know what you're going to say when we get an inevitable Robert shout-out tomorrow, now you've used your big Robert, Robert Seguso. Seguso. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bob. We've also got Jessica Schaefer. Right, Hello, Jessica. Jessica Pagula. Well done, Catherine. She I, won today. Yeah, she did. Courtesy of a, a retirement. retirement. But a she also won in doubles. Mm. She always wins these rounds. She's she's a top three seed in singles, doubles, and mixed. Oh, very good. Who should play mixed with? Austin Krychek. Of course. Oh, they, of course, I knew that. Of course. Thank you, Jessica. And finally, we've got Margaret Sutherland, who is in Glasgow. Hello, Margaret. Margaret. Hey. My mum's middle name is Margaret, and my dad was born in Glasgow, or sort of near Glasgow. Uh, Mm. Did not know that. Can you guess who Margaret's hero is? No, I can't. Is it somebody current? Yes. Oh, Okay, then I'm going to go for... Don't overthink it, would be what I would say. Uh, Billie Jean King. No. I'm going to go for Iga Sviantek. Oh. Andy Murray. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Margaret. I, yes. Good they choice. Were, they were good clues, Matt. We're good choice just, of hero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Margaret, for your support, and Bob and Jessica and Bonus Garth. It's because of you (laughs) that we are here at Tennis Podcast Towers in Paris, bringing you daily podcasts from the tennis, from the 
French Open and the tennis. <laughs> and we are loving doing it. Uh, if you'd like to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, the link to do that is in our show notes. If you'd like to subscribe to the newsletter and find out what Reggie is going for tomorrow, then the link to do that is in our show notes as well. We'll be back tomorrow with another one of these. Thank you as always for listening and we'll speak to you then. 